You're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. This week, I want to begin the podcast on the subject of gratefulness. Gratitude. This is the substance that dreams are made of, folks. And I I am watching my dreams come true. Why? Because those of you that follow this podcast that are attending the Fireplace Church are connecting with us in different ways are stepping up and partnering with us financially. You guys are giving gifts and donations and we continue to see our horizons expand because of you and your generosity. I am so excited about what God is beginning to open up to us. I have a feeling that if things continue to go the way they're going, we may not have a waiting list for survivors to get help from coaches by the end of 2018 and be able to shift to a a place where as people are applying, we have the resources and the number of coaches necessary to get them help right away. And for those of you that don't know what we're doing on that front, or maybe you're just beginning to connect with us, let me explain. Bride Ministries, we have a huge heart for survivors of satanic ritual abuse, government-sponsored mind control agendas extending into Illuminati-level programming. And these individuals are broken beyond words. The things that they have been through are just horrible. And when individuals like this try to find help in the greater body of Christ, the help is often insufficient and unequipped to help. And so at Bride Ministries, we have been building a platform that will allow for help to be offered to those that cannot afford it. And we are using money that we raise to fund the help um, for for survivors and, and help that's coming from qualified people that know what to do and have tools that will allow them to actually get results. And so I am, I, I, I'm just so excited that we, we are able to move forward in that area and also in a lot of other areas. Guys, I've been talking about a DID coaching school for a long time, and I am telling you, the agenda for the DID coaching school is moving forward. And I'm going to tell you what, folks, we are going to begin filming this month. That's right, this month. And we're going to interface the uh, school with the BrideMovement.com website. So BrideMovement.com is going to become a one-stop shop for education, for prayer resources, for podcasts, for the Fireplace Church. I mean, we, we're just building out, folks. And again, this is being made possible because you guys are helping us to do it. So we're going to start the school with our discipleship courses because I'm no longer doing those on a periodic basis and, and and for those of you that don't know about the discipleship courses, we had four, Grace in Christ, the Kingdom, Spiritual Warfare, and then added to that the Advanced Spiritual Warfare course. And those were being offered about four times a year, and I was offering all four. And that was really wonderful in 2016, but moving into 2017, that stopped. And 
I do not have the time to offer four classes and teach them all on a quarterly basis. And so what we're doing is we're going to begin recording them and we're going to archive them. And that way, anyone anywhere in the world can take those classes at their own pace as part of our school. And onto that foundation, we're going to begin building some of the inner healing teachings, some of the spiritual warfare teachings that, that's more advanced, some of the um, uh, how to minister to the human spirit and parts and how to work in the inner worlds and all the stuff that's going to go into the DID coaching. So it's all going to be organized into courses that are going to be placed and filmed and made a permanent part of our, our, our website, which will also be our school. And so that is what we are beginning to build right now. So thank you for all of you that are supporting us. For those of you that are ready to get on the bus and say, you know what? <laughs> you guys have been through the ringer, because we have, and have come out when the Lord is doing awesome things, and I want to sew into that. BrideMovement.com, there's a give button. We would love to connect with you. And I want to move on to just a couple more points before we get the program started. I know you're excited to hear me talk about non-human bloodlines. Uh, we are always taking applications for coaches, people that know how to work with survivors of SRA and DID. Do all of the people that apply to be a coach with Bride Ministries get accepted? No. I have unfortunately had to say uh, not right now to a number of individuals because we are looking for people that do have experience working with survivors and know how to get results independent of training that would come from us. And until we have our school fully established, we are looking for those individuals that work in this area. Now, if you do and you have experience and you know you have something to bring to the table, we do want to partner with you. We want to meet you. We want you to apply. And so for those of you that are coaches out there, bridemovement.com and you can just find an application for that right at our website. Now, there is a lot of concern about the Prayers of Shake Heaven and Earth book. A number of you guys continue to write into us and say, hey, where's my book? I ordered Prayers of Shake Heaven and Earth. Where is it? The answer, I don't even have it. Guys, we're, we're doing pre-sales and we are so grateful for all of you that have pre-ordered the book. I mean, I, I am really excited about the number of pre-sales we have experienced and I, I'm just praising God because I know that this book is going to change the world. But it's not going to change the world until mid to late February, and that is when we'll get the book back. Here's the update. I have the typeset in my possession right now. They, they got it back from the publisher, and I'm going through it, and I will be having a few corrections made, and then we're going to send the book off to the printer. So it's moving, and it will be out soon. We will be shipping them out as soon as we receive them. There is a prayer class coming up, guys. We're on a theme of prayer. Not only are we releasing a prayer book, but March 12th, mark it in your calendar, Monday, March 12th at 7 p.m., we are going to launch the eight-week prayer course at Bride Ministries. So that's going to be up on the website real soon. You'll be able to go right to bridemovement.com, classes and resources, and sign up for that. And so I'm done. Folks, you're listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. We'll see you in a second.
The day has finally arrived, and I am going to take this podcast to explain some things that I have not taken time on my podcast to explain before, namely, freedom from reptilian, draconian, and other non-human genetics, and why this is a real thing, and why you need to know about it. So folks, the truth is, for at least a year now, I've had on my website, www.bridemovement.com, a prayer called Freedom from Reptilian Genetics. And I just kind of snuck it in there and just posted it and said, well, you know, whoever finds it, finds it. And people began to find it. And at this point, it's been shared hundreds of times around the internet. And hopefully that will move to thousands. And people have come back explaining all kinds of odd things going on when they say that prayer, the most important one being actual breakthrough and freedom. And so today I am going to talk about that, but not only the reptilian bloodline and the freedom that people have gotten from this prayer that we've posted and why, but many other bloodlines that we are now just calling, or by we, I mean me and other people that hear me talk, (laughs) um, that I'm just calling non-human bloodlines. And folks, this is a very, very challenging subject to communicate on because for all of the very religious people out there, you're going to turn me off. And that's okay. I'm, I'm not worried about that today because I can't. I'm going to tell you things and it's going to really be hard to hear some of this stuff. And I'm just going to give you the heads up. The reason why I'm having this conversation at all is because as I wake up every day, folks, and I ask Jesus the question, how are we going to set your people free today? This is where we have landed. And the problem that a lot of religious people has is is that they are so committed to believing things that aren't true and to trusting in approaches to ministry that are less than effective, sometimes entirely ineffective. And I am always bewildered at how firmly these people, of course, I'm not talking about you because if you were religious, you would have already turned me off. When I said reptilian or draconian, just wait until I say Venusian and, and Anudaki. But these people, they, they get so sold on their paradigm, which isn't Jesus's paradigm, by the way. It's just theirs. That, that's it. They decided that what they believed at whatever point they stopped learning from Jesus was true. And they get red in the face. At the idea that they don't know everything. Well, one of the things I love about this podcast is that I can go on and on and on just talking. There's no one that can interrupt me while I'm doing it. It's one of the best ways to get communication out. (laughs) And especially when you're talking about challenging subjects like non-human bloodlines. And so here we go again. Dan Duvall is taking us on one of his wild adventures. The journey into non-human bloodlines and understanding what this is and what it means actually begins, guys, with me on Struggle Street. I don't know if you've ever woken up on Struggle Street, but I have. Now, for different people, the Struggle Street looks different. Some people wake up on Struggle Street because their girlfriend breaks up with them. Now they're really struggling. Some people wake up on Struggle Street because they get fired from their job. That's tough. 
Uh, some people wake up on Struggle Street because they have 10 exams on the same day and they're trying to graduate. That's a tough situation. Lots of studying, especially if you don't prepare right, you're going to be in trouble. But I wake up on Struggle Street, well, at least a few years ago, whenever I am working with a survivor of satanic ritual abuse or government-sponsored mind control agendas or some kind of blur plus Illuminati stuff, and we were running into reptilian bondages. And every time the reptilian thing would come up, and I'm, I'm telling you folks, this came up over and over in person after person. Every time we hit reptilian, I would just put my head in my hand and say, no, not again. Why? Because it was struggle street. Because you know, you know what I would do? I would say, we repent for the agreements that established reptilian bondage, and it didn't work. We would say, we renounce the reptilian bondage and genetics, and it wouldn't work. We would say, we break all covenants, oaths, agreements, and vows made by us or our ancestors, inviting reptilian influences into our lives. It wouldn't work. As a matter of fact, I remember very clearly I was in a session one time and a person heard an angel say, ask Jesus for a blood transfusion. And so we began to pray for a blood transfusion from Jesus Christ. Lord Jesus, purge their blood with your blood. Wash them with the washing of regeneration and, 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 and flush out the reptilian blood in them. And it didn't work. An angel told us it. But the thing that we didn't get was we were just getting pieces. And I'm telling you guys, as, as I was trying to get people set free, I went through the tools. I, I went through the deliverance models. I, I went through the different approaches to, to doing things. And we, and we tried it and it failed and, and it failed again and different things failed. And that one guy's idea failed and failed, failed, failed. At the end of the day, this is what really breaks religious programming for me is when I have someone sitting on the other side of me during a ministry session and what someone else said should work doesn't and I'm the one sitting there having to answer the question so then what do I not know yet that is going to make the difference so every time I would run into this reptilian bondage. I would be immediately on Struggle Street. And usually what would happen is over a period of sessions, maybe hours of labor-intensive work, a lot of guesswork, just saying whatever came into the brain, not knowing what actually worked and what actually didn't, we would get some degree of breakthrough or whatever. And then there came a point where I wrote a prayer. And it didn't have to do with reptilian anything. This prayer, I initially called Freedom from Principalities. And the Freedom from Principality prayer changed everything. And with the Freedom from Principality prayer, which now we renamed the Freedom from Fallen Angels and Other Heavenly Powers prayer, which you can find at www.bridemovement.com and also which I did a podcast on a while back. What I did with that prayer was I basically outlined 10 points. The 10 points that I had to hit every time I found a person that was interfacing with some kind of heavenly power. And it 
that was derived from a lot of deliverance sessions that were rather messy sometimes, sometimes lengthy, sometimes uncomfortable. Getting key pieces of language, finding what repeated itself over and over and over again and consolidating it into an organized document that essentially works like a prefab lawsuit. And with that prefab lawsuit, what we were able to begin doing was a plug and chug because, you know, you do anything enough times and you figure out the better ways to do that thing. And, and, and plug and chug, we were finding that the same mechanics that got a person set free of a Zeus spirit would get them set free from a Poseidon spirit, would get them set free from a death spirit, would get them set free from an Antichrist spirit, would get them set free. So we began to use this prayer a lot. And in going through these different points of this prayer, which you can just grab at bridemovement.com, I'm not going to read the whole prayer right now, but... In going through this, it, it really became a foundational template for many other prayers that we would eventually write in order to accelerate the process of getting people set free, especially on the higher levels when you're talking about Illuminati level bondage. I, I, you don't have time to wrestle with spirits for three and four hours. You know, you just got to figure it out, knock them out, keep it moving. Jesus did not, in the New Testament, as many people that are critics of deliverance ministry have pointed out, Jesus did not wrestle with spirits for hours and hours, yelling and screaming and having screaming battles with the spirits and and and, and then not even getting full breakthroughs at the end of that. No, in the ministry of Jesus, what you see is a man who is God, who comes in and introduces people to the love of God when there are demonic bondages in the way of a person's blessing and full expression before God, he would just kick them out and they would leave. Well, we began to learn the mechanics of how these guys were anchoring things in such that ministries did not look like what Jesus demonstrated in this day and age. But when we began to address the mechanics for what they were with this prayer, we began to see ministry that looked very much like what Jesus demonstrated. That is, I saw people getting set free from massive, massive interfaces with heavenly powers in five, six, seven, ten minutes. Clean. With very little manifestation at times. And well, sometimes a little bit more. But at the end of the day, I mean, we were just getting breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And, and so, and we made it public, right? Uh, anyway reptilian issue. So I'm on struggle street with the reptilian issue. And eventually I began to see that some of the same principles that underlie getting someone set free of a heavenly power were also underlying the bondage that people had to the reptilian issue because it because there are certain legalities that surround all of the mechanics of the spirit realm. And so with that prayer as a template, I began to use it and apply it to actual cases of reptilian bondage where I would just change the language as the Holy Spirit prompted and as the people that I was working to set free would be prompted to say, either because they heard the Holy Spirit talking to them, or they heard an angel of the Lord pointing something out, or they saw something in the Spirit, and we would speak to it, and we uncovered further mechanics. 
And I did this several times over and over, and eventually we had a pretty solid prayer called a Freedom from Reptilian Genetics Prayer, which then got slipped into my website because I'm like, I'm not really ready to talk about this on my podcast. So just put it on the website. People find it. They find it. And, you know, they'll do what they want with it. Well, we just kept finding so much reptilian stuff in so many people. I eventually got a lot of data points. So I'm going to share some of them with you today because I know you're interested. And in the process of you know, putting all of this together, a lot of this material actually made what we called the advanced spiritual warfare training. And so there's a few of you that will listen to this podcast that went through that training with us. Some of this information is going to sound a little familiar, at least on the reptilian and draconian parts. Some of the rest of this podcast is not going to be familiar at all. But in the process of working through some of this reptilian stuff with survivors and people that had actual encounters with the reptilian issue, we ran into the idea that there are actually more than one type of reptilians. Not all reptilians are the same. And we ran into people that had experiences with this kind of reptilian and that class of reptilian and this division. They're, they're different. We ran into people that had experiences with Draco reptilians, which basically exist in their reptilian form all the time, and other people that had lots of experiences with shape-shifting reptilians that lived in people like the Queen of England, who, who shapeshifts and then uh, is a big giant lizard that eats people, literally. And then we also found this situation, which was the case with the majority of the people that I was actually able to work with, because... I'm not getting phone calls from some of these shape-shifting reptilian folks. And I just called it dormancy, where there is a bondage in the person's genetic code that ties them to this issue and is a backdoor for spiritual attack in their lives, yet they're not necessarily shape-shifting. Now, we learned a whole bunch of mechanics, such as what happens with the shape-shifting reptilians. And one of the keys that we got was that it seems as though, in this case, the reptilian will take over a human body while it's still in the womb. And that reptilian nature will hijack the body like one would, say, rob a nest of a bird egg. And then it works to hide that the human spirit... So only a piece of the soul is getting any capacity to be expressed from birth. And the spirit essentially is getting suffocated, but they suck the life force out of the human spirit. And later in the person's life, as different things occur, they will shift the human body into their actual form when shape-shifting occurs. This was one of the mechanics that we were able to pretty much um, document point for point. Guys, we ran into, you know, descriptions of different kinds of Draco reptilians. And in, in these guys often will be found in deep underground military bases or other areas in craft. Sometimes they're flying around. And we, we, we learned about worker class ones, which were seven feet or more tall. We found warrior class ones, which were 14 to 16 feet tall. Often these have two hearts. We ran into uh, the description of ruling class reptilians that could be 16 to 20 feet tall and often would have white skin or scales. 
you know, these are all coming from people's memories that I'm working with. And we, we found that with the people who had a reptilian code in them that remained almost as in a state of dormancy, it, it served the function of being a perpetual backdoor in the individual's life that led to attacks and harassment from the powers of darkness. Can you imagine? So we run into people all the time and they say, you know, I've said every deliverance prayer there is, Dan Duvall, and I still get attacked. Stuff shows up. I'm seeing reptiles in my dreams. All this stuff is going on. And many times when a person begins to describe this stuff to me, I immediately know, well, if that's the group that's pursuing you and persecuting you, even in the spirit, it's likely because they have a secret. And that secret is what is embedded in the person's genetic code that they don't know is there. It's a hidden back door. And since... We have so many religious Christians that know everything, but don't know that. And they have the full 100% truth. I say that very sarcastically. We have a bunch of people that are left without empowerment to actually address the source point of their conflict and issue. And they're sitting in churches, even now, all over the country and world. And so people come to me and they say, you know, this is the thing. And I'll say, well, let's go through the freedom from reptilian genetics prayer. Let's say they're telling me that they're being harassed by reptiles and their dreams and so forth. And we'll go through this prayer. And of course, it always begins the same way. This is so weird. You're so weird, Dan Duvall. Why? I don't even know why I'm even cooperating with you. Because, like, wouldn't someone else have figured this out first? Like, you're just strange. And, and I, I receive that. Yeah. Okay, let's just say the prayer and see what happens, brother. Let's just say the prayer and see what happens, sister. And and lo and behold, <laughs> they're bending over <laughs> a little bit. You know, things get a little hazy when they begin to go through the prayer with me. Uh, suddenly, they can't quite talk as easily as they could before. And we get to the prayer and something breaks. And they're like, I don't even know what just happened. And I'll often ask people this question after we get done doing a prayer of this nature. I say, who are you going to tell about this? Who is going to know what the Lord has done? And they'll look at me and say, nobody. I can't tell this testimony to anybody anywhere. I'm not telling my pastor. You have no idea, folks, how many radical testimonies have been birthed as a result of the tools that we've put out there that no one is talking about. I'm just going to say it. Very, you know, I have people contact me every week, all week long. I mean, I talk to person after person. I, um, I, I do have a way to get one-time sessions that I don't advertise on this podcast. But the the thing is, so many of the radical testimonies that happen as a result of the ministry that we've learned how to do never get testified to because people are almost embarrassed of the fact that they're actually getting set free from stuff that they don't understand. And a big place where that is occurring is in the realm of non-human bloodlines and genetics. You know, so the, uh, the, the, the reptilian genetic code issue has, has been huge. And this is what opened up the whole can of worms. Because before I had the template and began to build that particular prayer that was later enhanced from the version we have on the website, 
I, I didn't know what to do. I would just hit this brick wall and it'd be struggle street. But once I got that prayer based on the original template, guys, I'm telling you, we started seeing crazy breaks. Not only that, I would put this prayer in the hands of other people that didn't even believe me that the prayer worked or that it was a real thing, but they would just take it to their ministry field and try. Does anybody here feel like the word reptilian creates any kind of triggering inside of you? Okay, let's say Dan Duvall's prayer and see what happens. Next thing they know, all kinds of stuff breaking out, freedom manifesting in Jesus' name. Um, so we learn a lot about reptilians. And, and I, I'll tell you, we are in the process of developing something. And it is going to be the DID coaching school, but so much more. And so oh, on that platform, we're going to put all of the teaching that we've d- developed for uh, the discipleship courses, advanced spiritual warfare stuff, human spirit stuff, um, new material on how to actually minister to satanic ritual abuse survivors, associative identity uh, disorder situations, and, and so on and so forth. And, and so the advanced spiritual warfare class that we did that was live will actually be added to this platform that we are building even now. We're, we're, we're gearing up and everything is being put into place to release this. So I'm not going to give you guys the full breakdown of everything reptilian that we have learned in working with this in a very, very straightforward way. But um, I will give you a few more points before I move on to some of the other non-human bloodlines and finish telling you the story. Uh, One of the things that we learned about reptilians that was very, very interesting is that they are not angels or demons necessarily. It's as if the reptilian groups are a species unto themselves and it seems as though they are highly anchored to a, a, a hybrid agenda more, more than anything. And we learned that they associate with a number of different star systems or at least they claim to, but we have people that have somehow through the spirit or on craft or other means through wormholes have visited what they believe to be Alpha Draconis, Sirius B, Orion, and Zeta Reticuli. These particular places where reptilian activity is occurring. And uh, one of the big, biggest surprises for me was the revelation that the reptilians are more like an independent faction of Satan than Satan himself. You know, there's a theory that has come through some people that the, the serpent in the garden, the Nakash, is the source point for the reptilian race. And so anything reptilian came from that Nakash, and it's like the same thing. But w- during our work, what we ran into, and, and I'm not going to give the full story here, I'm, d- I'm just going to tell you what we learned. And, you know, you could take it to the Lord. But what we what we got was that the um, <clears throat> serpent, who was Satan in the garden, was another level, another hierarchy, an, uh, much, much more grandiose and supreme on the spiritual pecking order than your run-of-the-mill reptilian. They, they're not, they're, they're like in, entirely different classes or orders. And so, in that sense, using Nakash as in Genesis chapter 3 reference to explain reptilians, 
was not correct. It's not that simple. And I'll just leave it there. There's a whole bunch more, but a lot of this material will be on the platform when we post the entire teaching on advanced spiritual warfare and get into the reptilian issue. Nonetheless, what you need to know is that in in my journey, this was a big deal. And it was not just in highly programmed survivors that I was running into reptilian stuff. It was into everyday, you know, Jane and Joe Smiths. People that just have regular problems, so it seems, or maybe a little bit more than regular problems. And as we're investigating stuff with the Holy Spirit, he's pointing out the reptilian bloodline and genetics issue. We're doing this renunciation with the equipment we have, with the tool we've built, and people are getting massive breakthrough. Stuff is shifting in their lives. And I'm scratching my head like, how, how is Joe and Jane Smith being implicated in reptilian agendas and and my brain is just fried okay and i don't have all the answers guys i I don't have all of the whys figured out yet and and i'm going to take you deeper in this podcast because we're talking about non-human bloodlines and genetics i have a whole bunch of them i mean we have discovered so many of these it's disgusting disgusting God came to me one day and said, Daniel, people are not only out of alignment with their kingdom mandates and assignments, because everybody knows that that's true, right? Christians, we, we just don't get it. He said, people are out of alignment with their very humanity. My people are out of alignment with their very humanity. I have a whole prophetic word on this, uh, out of alignment with the humanity piece. I'm not going to share that right now, but the this idea that the deviancies that are being carried in the genetic code of people all over the planet have put the human race in the you know 21st century out of alignment with their own humanity to a great extent we don't realize how much we have been deviated by diabolical agendas that have been hidden And they've been going on for millennia. But since we ignore the historical records and what the people that walked this earth before us plainly told us, and we just invented our own version of history and put it in books and said, well, we know that they were suggesting that this is what happened, but since we know they were lying and making it up, we're going to just say that this is what happened. There were never any mermaids. No, everybody knows that they had to make that up. Why? Because that guy over there at that university said there's no mermaids. What's your basis for your conclusion? Our history got so twisted, we just made a bunch of stuff up. And you know what that did? That covered up the real history of the human situation. And now we don't even have a context for the kind of bondage that the enemy is counting on us, never figuring out. Well, I'll tell you what, devils. I figured it out. And now I'm telling the people. Someone say, praise Jesus. You know what? The thing is, we just need to relax. Okay? I know you're sitting there and you're kind of tense because you're really trying to hear me out, but you're really tense about what I'm talking about. Just relax. Just chill out. Breathe. Okay. Now, 
Not long after discovering that we could deal with reptilian bondage in many individuals by dealing with it as a genetic and bloodline issue. Like, How'd you do that, Dan Duvall? Just go to bridemovement.com and find a Freedom from Reptilian Genetics prayer. That's where we got started. It's right there for you. Um, we discovered the draconian bloodline. Now, this one really rocked my world. And once upon a time, I thought that Reptilians and draconians essentially would just be the same thing, some kind of reptile dragon thing. Satan's a, a dragon, therefore reptilians, dragons, Satan, it's all the same thing. Probably just one being, you know, with some evil spirits that just are ethereal. And it is just not that simple. So while we ran into the idea that the Reptilians are more like their own subspecies, and I happen to believe that they were engineered at a certain point in history. Um, what we learned is that draconians include within their ranks a number of actual fallen angels or fallen hosts of heaven, and they are super superior to the reptilians now one of the ways that this gets proven out is the bible actually does describe satan as a dragon we'll get to that passage i'll read it to you but there are other major major players in the kingdom of darkness that are described as dragons one of the most significant ones is leviathan who is a dragon who shows up in the book of job and I'll tell you something about Leviathan. In the Lesser Key of Solomon, you find that this occult work classifies Leviathan as a fallen seraphim. And if you remember in the book of Isaiah chapter 6, seraphim were at the throne of God. They have six wings. With two they cover their faces and with two they cover their feet. Seraphim. This is a host one of the hosts of heaven leviathan is said to be from among that category so it's very interesting that you run into this and then they are being called dragons what's even more interesting is that in one of the psalms in the latter part of the bible you actually see some some dragons being commanded to praise the lord so figure that out anyway as we began to look into dragons, the nice thing about the, the dragon or the draconian issue was that this is actually easier to ground out in the Bible than the reptilian issue, which seems to almost be a sidebar. In other words, the Bible gives us just enough to understand how it could play into the situation. But beyond that, we don't have too much being said. Dragons are right there, right in the scripture. There are 34 references to dragons in the King James Bible. The Hebrew word tenin is often translated dragon, but not always, suggesting a number of hidden references to dragons. Apparently, tenin, which means dragon, can also mean whale in Hebrew. But notwithstanding some of the confusion that that could cause. 
Here's what the Bible says in Deuteronomy 32:33. It says, Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. Deuteronomy is talking about the poison of dragons. Now, how do I know that that's actually a dragon? And how did the Bible translators determine that Tanin should be translated dragon and not whale in Deuteronomy 32:33? Probably because whales are not poisonous. <laughs> so they, they actually make a reference to wine being like the poison of dragons. Very, very interesting. It's acknowledging the reality of dragons in that world. In the book of Job 30, 29, this is one of the most telling passages in the Bible. I mean, it just comes up and slaps you in the face. Like whack, like slap, slap, like slappity slap, slap, whack, whack, whack. It says, I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. And Barring any assumption that this is just a metaphor or an, an allegory or some kind of poetic twist. If we just read it plainly and just say, okay, it says I'm a brother to dragons. We actually find a clue that a person can carry a genetic marker associating them with a draconian bloodline. I am a brother to dragons. Get it? Another passage that is very, very powerful. Psalm 148.7 Because when I told you that the Bible commands dragons to praise the Lord, I know you didn't believe me. So let me read it to you. Psalm 148.7 says, Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons and all deeps. You dragons and all deeps. Some dragons associate with mountains. Some dragons associate with the deep. You know, Leviathan is a dragon, but he spends a lot of time in the water. Very, very interesting. Dragons also associate with palaces, according to the Bible. And in Isaiah 13, 22, it says, And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses, and dragons in their pleasant palaces. And her time is near to come, and her days shall not be prolonged. Okay, so... What I'm establishing here is that the Bible actually has a whole lot to say about dragons. And what we need to understand is that dragons play a huge role in human history. I tell you, Leviathan has played a huge role in human history. And into this day, into this present time, Leviathan is playing a humongous role in human history because of all of the strings he's pulling and all of the things being manipulated on the earth plane as a result of tie-ins to Leviathan. It's nuts, okay? So, not only that, the Bible says... In Revelation 12, 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So Satan, who is 
alluded to as a cherub in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, is also called a dragon. And if you follow me to the point that, you know, if, okay, Leviathan is classified as a fallen seraphim and Satan is classified as a cherub in Ezekiel 28, then what we can learn is dragon as it is applied to fallen hosts of heaven, can actually come from different choirs of the hosts of heaven. Different choirs of the hosts of heaven can be described as dragons, or dragons will exist across those choirs. Choirs meaning seraphim, cherubim, thrones, dominions, virtues, powers, principalities, archangels, and angels. So, we got to wrap our mind around this and, and, and see, because we have all these span of heavenly hosts, what was it that happened in Genesis chapter 6? The sons of God, the B'nai Elohim, the angels, saw the daughters of men that they were very beautiful and took for them wives, all of whom they chose. And those women gave birth to the Nephilim. So what are we dealing with? If some of those fallen angels had the manifestation of dragon, like Satan does, you have draconian bloodlines entering the earth realm. It's that simple. I, I, I'm, I'm actually, for the, for the draconian piece, I don't have to leave the Bible at all. This is right there in the Word. And, and, and this is why people are dealing with the draconian bloodline now, because people come from ancestors who came from ancestors who had run-ins with dragons. And don't think that this is limited to European folk. I have run into people that have been in bondage to dragons that have manifested on the African continent generations ago. And when they come in, they can take the form of men, even though they are dragons in nature. And have sex with women and, and covenant with them in different ways. And enslave their entire bloodline proceeding forth from them to secret cults. And, and, and sometimes when you talk about bloodline cult activity, people are being wrapped up into this and it exists in the spirit and I know this sounds funny, but we run into this all the time where from a very young age, people are being pulled out of body at night and taken to rituals occurring on different realms with all of their family members. But there's not much physical evidence in the natural realm of all of the ritual activity that's occurring in the other realms. And some of these bloodline cults that do a lot of work in the spirit carry draconian bloodlines. So I'm just putting it out there. I'm just saying it, you know. You don't have to believe me. That's okay. The Bible says in Revelation uh, chapter 20, verse 2, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Can't wait for that day. So, Dragons include in their ranks the fallen hosts of heaven. Dragons can take on forms that resemble humans, and when they assume physical bodies and human forms, they can have sex with women and create a bloodline. In the memories and the information and all the stuff that we've gotten from people working with survivors, we have learned that they will give women special abilities in exchange for their children. 
There's so much more to say. So, so much more. But I'm talking about non-human bloodlines, plural, and there's so many. And I'm, again, not going to harp on this. If you want to know a lot more about draconian bloodlines, again, we are building the school and the advanced spiritual warfare course where a lot of this teaching is because we have a whole two-hour section on or hour and a half section on reptilian. We have a whole hour and a half section on draconian. You can get that once we produce it and enjoy all of that content and be equipped and empowered by it. So I'm not going to take this opportunity to just you know do a full teaching on all of this stuff. What I'm doing now is I'm exploring something with you because I have a book coming out soon. It's called Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth. And I have a resource in that book called Freedom from Non-Human Bloodline and Genetics. And that prayer is going to be a tool in your hands to set yourself free in the name of Jesus and to set others in your community free in the name of Jesus from issues that are rooted in these non-human bloodlines. This is called a root issue. Many people spend a lot of their Christian lives trying to deal with the fruit of a root issue and never get to the root, especially when you're talking about the bloodline stuff because people don't even know it exists. And the Bible says, be it unto you according to your faith. It says, whatever you ask, believing you will receive it, you will have it. If you don't know how to ask for your freedom from non-human bloodlines and genetics, you're not asking the right question to receive what you need. Okay. Moving on. After figuring out that there were both reptilian and draconian bloodlines, I ran into yet another bloodline and we called them the ancients. Not we, but they call themselves the ancients. And the interesting thing about the ancients is that they have tie-ins into Atlantis. They are largely associated with the Orion star system. And this has been noted by something called the Orion correlation theory. And you can look this up. Uh, the Orion correlation theory or Giza Orion correlation theory is an alternative vantage point of Egyptology and claims that the three largest pyramids of the Giza pyramid complex all align with Orion's belt and the constellation Orion, which they do. And so why would these pyramids, which were built under a civilization that worshipped the ancients, be aligned with the star system known as Orion and Orion's belt? Answer? Largely because that's where the ancients have a base of operations in Orion. There's a reason for that. It's very, very significant. Some of the ancients include beings by the name of Ra or Amun-Ra, Osiris, Isis, Set, Nut, Anubis, Thoth, Ma'at, Horus, Shishat, and others. Um, Here's a few uh, descriptors on some of these guys. and I, I mean, on many of these names, uh, we've had run-ins with them. These are not ancient guys that just went away when the cultures died and people stopped believing what they were making up. They weren't making it up. 
And that's what I, and that, this this is one of these talking points that I just cannot get over. How ignorant we are in western culture to think that just because we disagree with another culture's version of history because we decided it doesn't make sense with our worldview, how is it that we assume we are right? We are not right. They were right. Maybe they didn't get all their dates right. Maybe they didn't get the belief system right. And maybe their theories on cosmology were lie-based because the entities they were dealing with were telling them lies. But the entities themselves and some of the things that transpired actually happened. Ra was the sun god. He was believed to rule in all parts of the created world, the sky, the earth, and the underworld. He was often associated with a falcon or hawk. When at one point a god named Amun rose to prominence, the Egyptian folks merged the two gods and began to call it Amun-Ra. There are people that are in bondage to Ra as a fallen heavenly host or principality. They need to be separated from that interface. One of the biggest repeated problem people that I've had run-ins with among the ancients is Thoth. You know, and and I... I, (laughs) I mean, we've had some major, major run-ins. We've been in his throne room. We've put tornadoes in his throne room. We've smashed his armies. We've gone back to his throne room. We've smashed his armies again. We've gone into his timelines. We've smashed his timelines. We've, I mean, we've done a lot of winning. If you ever met Thoth and you brought up my name, I have a suspicion that he would get very upset because we... We've just knocked heads a bunch of times over the survivors that God has called me to help. And they've all been in bondage to Thoth for various reasons. And so he's gotten a lot of black eyes. And I like that. I'm actually very proud of that. But Thoth is very real. And he was one of the deities in the Egyptian pantheon. In art, you will find him depicted as a man with the head of an ibis. Sometimes they make it a baboon in the hieroglyphs, but often it's the ibis. Both of those are sacred to him. As a matter of fact, when we were in his throne room during one of our raids, we saw the baboons in the throne room in heaven. Well, the heavens, which was a part of Orion where he actually has his throne room. And he has... uh, feminine counterpart named Shashat. In in some versions, she's actually his wife. In other versions, there's another goddess in that hierarchy named Ma'at. Ma'at is his wife. However it works out, he's all over the place. As a matter of fact, he has female and male concubines in his palace. We saw it. In history... Thoth's chief temple was located in a city of Kamun, later called Hermopolis Magna during the Greco-Roman era. He led something 
of a pantheon of eight principal deities. They were Nun, He, Kuk, Amun, and Nunat, Hahet, Koket, and Amonet. I may have butchered a few of those, but he, he was actually a leader type deity. He led other deities and, and he's pretty high up there in the hierarchy even today. And there is a work that some of you may have already become aware of called the Emerald Tablet. Why am I giving you all this information? I want you to know about the reality of the enemies of Jesus Christ. That's why. That's why. What has been done in darkness shall be screamed out from the rooftops. They've done some stuff in darkness. Now I'm telling you about it. This guy has created problems for the human race. Our world has been fundamentally shifted by his stuff. So, you know, we're talking about it. There's a book, not really a book, but something known as the Emerald Tablets of Thoth that were said to be written by him in an incarnation. In the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, he is referred to as Hermes the Thrice Great. The idea is that he uh, incarnated as Thoth. He lived a long, 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 long time. And then he did some sort of ascension. And then he was able to reincarnate himself into another person. And then finally into Hermes, in which he wrote the Emerald Tablets of Thoth as that person, a third incarnation of his original. I know that sounds strange, and of course, in in the occult world, everything gets very weird. Anyway, he's basically a walk-in at that point, and the legend goes that these tablets were written, they contained all these mysteries and secrets, and they were buried in the Great Pyramid. Well, these were allegedly found, and there's a whole lot of really interesting stuff in them. I've read the Emerald Tablets of Thoth in, in some of my research. I found some some of the commentary in there to align with actual truth uh, about the way the mechanics of the spirit realm do work. Also, it's littered with lies and poison that will draw a student of it deep, deep, deep into the occult. And... With that said, I was thinking about reading some excerpts on this podcast just to give some evidence of what this entity has to say, but I changed my mind. What I will say is that as we got into doing some of our work with getting survivors set free of Montauk, the time travel exploits of the U.S. government under Camp Hero in New York, We learned that Thoth was a mastermind behind much of those operations, actually dispersing the knowledge necessary for people to begin to engage in that kind of activity from his place in the spirit realm. Now, Horus, Isis, and Osiris are all ancients. They are members of this group. And this group, again, has a bloodline. I have been watching person after person get set free of the ancient bloodline. And one of the telltale factors that a person has this problem is that they are very drawn to ancient Egypt. 
at one point or another in their life, it is almost as if ancient Egypt just consumes them and their thoughts. And it's just like, oh my gosh, I just need to know what happened in ancient Egypt. I want to know everything about ancient Egypt. Well, yeah, there's a, there's a resonant frequency, so to speak, in the DNA that connects people to that culture, which was completely downloaded from this group. Now, things get real messy when you begin to look at Horus, Isis, and Osiris, and I'll tell you why. Because as ancients, they mirror the story of Nimrod and his wife, who is said to be Semiramis, or Ishtar. And his son, who is said to be Horus or Tammuz. And there it is, the overlaying of names. Horus showing up in reference to Nimrod and um, also as a part of the hierarchy, the ancients, Horus, Isis, and Osiris. And it's exactly the same story. Osiris is the father. Isis is, in a sense, the, the mother of his incarnation or reincarnation as Horus. Nimrod, whose wife was Semiramis, who also happened to be his mother. And after he dies, she gets allegedly pregnant. And the son is his reincarnation. The reincarnation of Nimrod or Nimrod being birthed, you know, as a deity back into the earth which is the source point for the whole Madonna and child pattern. And there's a lot of cultures around the world that feature the Madonna, who is this Semiramis Ishtar Isis persona, with her child, who is assumed to be of some kind of divine conception. And all of this predates the actual birth of Jesus to his mother Mary, who actually was a virgin. And so, so all of this has significance. And, and Nimrod is said to have been known, you know, go figure, in Egypt as Osiris being the founder of the first world empire at Babylon, or Babel, later known as Babylon. Now you find Nimrod's story in Genesis 10, 8 through 12, and then some more in 11, 1 through 9. That's the story of the Babel. If you read about Nimrod, it says he was a mighty hunter before God. And if you break down the original Hebrew of that, it means that he was a mighty yet rebellious hunter. And that word before actually can be translated as against or that he was a mighty rebellious hunter against God. He was uh, a great-grandson of Noah. Now, again, this is all research and topics and confusion and mysteries that have been explored by many authors and researchers when you begin to get into this thing. Because once you hit Nimrod, you hit a whole, you know, I mean, this is like, oh my gosh, Nimrod is the centerpiece of so much stuff. Now, in respect to the conversation we're having today, I actually don't know fully how Nimrod connects into Orion or the subject of the ancients, Horus, Isis, Osiris, because Osiris is still around, Isis is still around, 
I, I mean, come on. All of this activity in the Middle East and they're calling themselves ISIS. Like, and you think that spirit isn't still wandering around creating havoc in the earth? Come on. So, but I don't know how all of the accounts and biblical truth merge. What I do know is that Nimrod was a very, very evil guy. That there's a lot of mystery surrounding. And I know that the ancient bloodline and genetics is a major bondage for people. I would um, also bring up this point, and, and this, this kind of goes back to a point I was making earlier. When you do read the Emerald Tablets of Thoth, which I decided I wasn't going to read excerpts from in this particular podcast, the writer says that he is an Atlantean. And since the writer is claiming to be Thoth, that is the link between the ancients and this mystery kingdom known as Atlantis, which is a centerpiece of mystery school philosophy, really. So anyway, another point that's very fascinating is that the Bible says that Nimrod began to become a mighty man or a gibor. And this has been pointed out by many authors. Like, what does the Bible mean when it says that he began to become a Gabor? In the Bible, the first use of the term Gabor was in reference to the Nephilim, which were the offspring of the fallen angels and the human women. In Genesis 6, the Nephilim were described as Gabor or Giborim. So, how is it that Nimrod begins to become a Gabor? Interesting, that term Gabor is also used in reference to David, who fights off a giant and then later other giants and wins those battles as a man. It refers to the mighty men of David as Giborim. It actually refers to God as Jehovah Gibor. So Gibor is not only used in reference to satanic evil hybrids that are birthed under different auspices, but in all cases, it seems to refer to superhuman capacity. In, in, in other words, capacity for whatever, strength, speed, uh, warring capabilities that go beyond human parameters. In other words, it's like ancient super soldier. So Nimrod, whatever happened with him in his rebellion, he began to become something that he didn't begin as. He went through some kind of significant transformation that the Bible only cryptically hit, hints at. Um, but I want to bring another passage of the Bible into the conversation to, to help understand how some of this stuff all fits together. I'm just weaving together a story here, guys. The main point of this entire podcast is going to be, you know, there are resources to get free of these 
non-human bloodlines. So just get the resources and start using them if you find that this is your problem. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the whole point in a nutshell. But there's so much fascinating stuff to talk about around a subject that I'm just giving you pieces, goodies, and treats. Ezekiel 28 has some very, very interesting things to say about the king of Tyre. This, uh, and and, and it's, this particular passage has been looked at and studied and questioned so many times because some people say, oh yeah, well, this is about the fall of Lucifer. I'll read it to you in a second. But people say it's about the fall of Lucifer. And other people say, well, no, but it's not addressing Lucifer. It's addressing the king of Tyre. So why are we going to say that it's about Lucifer or Satan when it's actually addressing a historical figure? There was a king of Tyre at the time of Isaiah's or, or Ezekiel's writing here in Ezekiel 28. So you run into some problems. And, and I'm going to explain this to you, but this is what the passage says. Beginning in verse 11, it says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. Okay, now the ephod that the Hebrew priest would wear had 12 stones. But here you see an ephod being described with nine stones. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were nine choirs of angels. Okay, just think about that. Now, it continues and says, The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was created for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. It doesn't say born. It says created. Till iniquity was found in you. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. And I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Now, I'm not going to try to exegete this whole passage and... I am saying this. How, do you, how is it that you have a historical figure, an actual guy who is king of Tyre, and God is saying, Ezekiel, speak this about him. And then he's talking about the Garden of Eden. He's talking about the cherub who covers. He's talking about something that was created and not born. How does that make sense? And, and this is the answer. The answer is that there was an interface. There was an interface between this fallen cherub, and the man, the king of Tyre. There was an interface. And so when the interface is established, depending on the degree of interface, that fallen cherub, that fallen heavenly power, has degrees of access to the point of full possession of that vessel to be in as a walk-in, such that when you look at the king of Tyre, you can address 
the entity behind him as if it were him. And this happens with people even in the earth right now because they're so far gone. Now, in order for something to go that far, oftentimes what you really truly need is a genetic interweaving because the genetics of that entity, that fallen cherub or whatever have you, you know, we're we're, going to assume this is Satan here, but in other cases with other fallen powers, you need a weaving of genetic capacity to allow for that degree of interface. Let's come back to Thoth. Thoth assumed that he was Hermes the thrice great, meaning he had multiple incarnations. So what we're learning is that when these entities create bloodlines in the earth, these people that carry the genetic markers of these entities can be positioned in the earth as walk-ins for these entities in their generations because they carry a genetic compatibility with them. Which is why... Just renouncing a sin of smoking, repenting of it, and asking God to remove the demons that make you smoke aren't necessarily going to get to the bottom of the bondage that people are actually wrestling with. Something along these lines may have been going on with Nimrod and Osiris. I don't know. And I don't have the whole picture. Other people make the connection between Nimrod and Apollyon, who is Abaddon, who is the king of the bottomless pit, and, you know, could some kind of interface or whatever been going on? I I, I don't get it. I, I I don't fully get it. This is what I know. At the end of the day, what we have found is that many of the ancients, Thoth, Osiris, Isis, Set, Nut, Anubis, they remain tethered to people. Just like Satan was tethered to the king of Tyre in varying degrees. It's not always the same degree. And this tethering is established on a genetic level and can be inherited to the bloodline from one generation to the next. Okay, (laughs) you guys really ready to have fun? (laughs) Um, Once we had discovered that there was an ancient bloodline, things continued to break open. Things continued to break open. And I was working with a survivor who began to have a revelation on what she called the six, which were six non-human bloodlines that she needed to be free from. Guess who got the job? <laughs> so as we're working through this, we identified the six bloodlines. And to my list of non-human bloodlines that I am compiling, I'm, I find myself adding Martian and Venusian. Now, when this particular individual who I love dearly, began to, you know, expound this stuff to me. I'm just like, come on, man. Come on. You know, Marvin the Martian, Looney Tunes, like, (sighs) Invaders from Mars, old Like, what am I doing anymore? I I, I feel like... (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I mean, can can you put yourself in my shoes? It's like, get me free from... I I don't even have context... What is a Martian? Can someone tell me what a Martian is? God, Jesus, what's a Martian? And if that's not bad enough, a Venusian, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? And I'll tell you, after that came out, 
more and more people began getting set free of Martian and Venusian genetics. Once I realized that it was a thing. It's like all I needed to know was that it was a thing. And I'll tell you guys, I have asked Jesus. I said, Jesus, tell me, where did the Martians come from? Did you create the Martians? Are they genetic hybrids? Were they put there? Are they a result of some other timeline? Are they a result of, you know, some kind of pan-sperm? What the heck is a Martian? What the heck is a Venusian? He won't tell me yet. Maybe one day he will. But all I can say is that we ran into it and it has been getting people victory and freedom and deliverance. The Martian bloodline seems to be connected to some kind of race that's original to Mars, whatever that means. The Venusian bloodline is very interesting. And it somehow seems to connect to a race original to Venus. Reports of the Venusian bloodline repeatedly include large-headed, thin beings that possess elongated fingers who and, and who love to torture people. I remember one day I was in a session with a survivor and we started touching on the Venusian bloodline. As soon as we started touching on it, they saw in the spirit some Venusians getting a craft and they were heading right towards them. And they're seeing this in the spirit and they begin to absolutely panic on the phone. And, and I mean, this is like panic that you can't make up. And, and, and they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they're coming, they're coming, oh my gosh. And, and meanwhile, I'm like, what the heck is a Venusian? So, of course, I attack their ship in the spirit and speak this and loose my spiritual weapons. You know, we, we don't just do defensive warfare at Bride. We do offensive warfare. Let, and let me tell you something about offensive warfare. <clears throat> Some Christians have taught that the armor of God is primarily defensive. Even the sword somehow becomes a defensive weapon in their theory. And they say... So you get all this armor so that you can stand and stand there for. And their idea of spiritual warfare, and I hate using this reference, but it's the best reference it, that I got. It, there was a, this, the Simpsons episode that came on way back. I don't even know how many years ago. I was still growing up. And, 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 and Homer Simpson decided to get into boxing. But his strategy was to stand there and just let the other boxers punch him until they got tired. And then they'd fall over. That's his strategy. Just sit there and get hit until the enemy that's attacking you gets tired and falls over. It worked until he found an enemy that didn't get tired and knocked him the heck out. And many of you have getting knocked out. You're getting knocked out. You know you're knocked out because you're listening to me from the floor. You already got done with the 10 count. You're trying to figure out how to stand back up so you could just leave. You got blasted. You're trying to figure this thing out. And someone you you and, and you're getting preached to preaching that sounds like just stand there and keep taking it. You've already been knocked out, man. It didn't work. See, and God's warfare does not look like Homer Simpson. So the Bible says the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. To the tearing down of strongholds, the casting down of arguments and of every high thing which exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. And I'll tell you, there are so many weapons in the word of God, man. And and so I, I went after that craft with the weapons and just threw this and that and this and, you know, blew it up. So then they, they went back to a state of peace. They're like, oh, you know, I feel so much better. Thank you, Dan Duvall. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Now, 
the fact that seeing in the spirit could send them into that state of anxiety is very telling. Is, we're, we're, not, we're not in the realm of make-believe. And, 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 and so people sometimes have these abduction experiences with groups like the Venusians where they're being you know, taken sometimes out of body. Their soul is being captured while they sleep, pulled out, pulled on a craft, and they're being tortured and tormented. Taken to the planet, we found pieces of people's souls in prison on planet Venus. You have to go break the prisons open, get them back. This is this gets into regions of captivity stuff. I don't. I'm sorry, guys. You know, if you haven't been listening to my podcast for very long, I'm talking Chinese and I know it, but I just got to get this out. We we've been there. We got to get the soul fragments off of that planet and bring them back so that they can be healed and reintegrated by Jesus. The reports have been consistent about these elongated fingers. And I don't know what the thing is with the fingers or why they love to torture people. They're evil. But this is the thing going on with these Venusians. And one of the paintings that will often trigger people that have problems with the Venusian bloodline is called The Scream. And it's by an artist named Edvard Munch. And if you're listening to me and you're very studious, you will Google that painting. And if you look at it and get triggered, we may have just helped you figure out a problem that you have. Now, moving beyond these bloodlines, I'm telling you guys, we continued to find all kinds of other bloodlines. And once I I started finding, I just began writing prayers for each bloodline, ancients, Anunnaki, Martians, Venusians, and finally, for the release of the book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth, I combined them all into one plug-and-chug template that just took basically all of the unique language from all of the different versions of this bloodline deliverance prayer for non-human bloodlines and genetics and, and compressed it into one supercharged script that works. And I'm going to be honest, guys. How do you do what you do? How do you, how do you sit there and get people set free of these deep, dark, tough bondages all day long? Answer. I sit here with Jesus. I learn. I take notes. We create tools that work and then we use them. And after a while, when you have enough tools, you can be very, very relaxed about the different deliverance process. Like, okay, well, Holy Spirit of Truth, does so-and-so have a reptilian bloodline? Yes or no? Yes. Boom. Pull up the prayer, freedom from non-human genetics, and take that person through that prayer, just putting reptilian genetics in each blank space. This is how I do some of the work I do, guys. It's actually not very hard anymore. It used to be really hard. When we figured out the tools, which we are now making available for $9.95 pre-order, this and so many more, just change your life. Um... You just plug it in. You just figure out the bondage, put the name in the blank, <laughs> and go through the prayer and just honor and speak to anything that the Holy Spirit would show during the process of saying the prayer. And uh, I mean, just line them up, knock them out. That's, that's how I'm doing a lot of this stuff. I'm doing it with that prayer, freedom from Illuminati bloodline prayer, freedom from human persecutors prayer, freedom from 
fallen angels and other heavenly powers prayer. I, I use these prayers all the time. It's just bread and butter. And I'm telling you, you can do it too. So I'm going to give you the working list of bloodlines that we've uncovered. I mean, there's more than this, but some of them are just so weird. I'm not even going to bother including them. But do you know everything there is to know about all these different bloodlines, Dan Duvall? Nope. Do you know why they make sense? Nope. Do you know why they're setting people free? Nope. I don't. I, I, I understand some better than others. I have more data that's circumstantial on some than others, such as reptilians and draconians and ancients. But have you seen these get people breakthrough and freedom? Yeah. Yeah. And you will be surprised at some of them on this list. So here we go. What is the list that you will find in the book Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth? Ancient. Anunnaki. Aryan. Atlantean. Draconian. Dwarf, Elven, Gray, Lycan, Martian, Nephilim, Nordic, Olympian, Pleiadian, Reptilian, Shadow People, Syrian, Sumerian, Vampire, and Venusian. And I will tell you this, there are a lot of people that get saved and are still having problems with entities showing up, abducting them, taking them places, making them do things, and they don't know how to get it to stop. Sometimes they call out in the name of Jesus and it stops. Sometimes they can't call out on the name of Jesus and it's like they can't even remember who Jesus is until the event is already over and what's done has been done because it's been blocked from their mind. People have all kinds of very strange problems and I hear it all. And what I'm telling you is many times when people have problems after they get saved and turn their lives over to Jesus with entities that is ongoing, it is because whatever that group is that keeps coming after them, that individual is carrying genetic markers associated with that group. Why do the Olympians keep coming after me, Dan DeVault? Maybe you have some Olympian markers in your genetic code. Why do the reptilians keep coming after me, Dan DeVault? Maybe you have some reptilian markers in your genetic code and blood. Why do the shadow people keep coming after me, Dan DeVault? Maybe you have some shadow people genetics and markers in your DNA. And what we're finding is if other things haven't worked, this many times will secure the breakthrough that people are looking for. And the beautiful thing is, you may not be around a community of people that can understand your problem, wherever you are listening to me. You have problems and you are so frustrated because nobody gets it, no one understands you. You don't even understand you. But here's what I want you to know. There is hope in Jesus Christ. There are tools that are available. And there's a book coming out called Prayers That Shake Heaven and Earth that's going to have a lot of tools for you that will connect you with the finished work of Jesus Christ, even if you do not have a community around you that can help you secure that breakthrough. So, guys, I'm done for today. That's it. I'm done. There's a lot more I could say, yeah. 
but I have a lot of other things to do, and so I am going to say adieu. Until next time, God bless and Godspeed. You've been listening to Discovering the Truth with Dan Duvall. If you would like to connect with us at Bride Ministries or to support what we are doing financially, visit us at www.bridemovement.com.